Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Lawrence, aka Don Lifted, over Zoom video. Lawrence was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and he talks about how he got into music, was always into art and poetry, but didn't start putting the two together until later in high school. He talked about going to University of Maryland to go to college for, I think he was only there for about a year, and then he head back to Memphis, where Lawrence really started to pursue a career in music. Lawrence always did well with his art, selling their art and then using that money to fund their music career. He talked about a horrible show that he ended up playing in Memphis, how he was able to pick himself up and continue, have the courage to keep doing this, keep pursuing a career in music. He talks about self-releasing, I think, three records within the same year, throwing shows at different art galleries around the Memphis area, slowly building each show into a bigger and bigger and bigger space. He talks about getting signed to Fat Possum Records and how that really changed everything. We talked to Don Lifted about the new record, 325i, and the brand new single that just came out, not a part of the album, but it's called The Rope. You can watch our interview with Don Lifted on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Don Lifted. Awesome, Lawrence. Thank you so much again for doing this. Um, again, you. it's about you, your journey in music, and how you got to where you are now. So I did read. Are you originally from uh, originally from Tennessee, Memphis? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Shelby County outside of Memphis. Yep. Tell me about that. What was it like growing up in Memphis? Big music uh, town. It's interesting because like the music of it, I only like... I was so far away from it. Like I grew up outside of the city a little bit. Mm -hmm. so, I don't know. It's just like you get caught up in your like little world, like your little silo, like your few little blocks that you're hanging out in with your friends or your family and stuff. And you go into the city, but I was really like a, I don't know, imaginative child. Like I really, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, when I think about my childhood, I just think about like being outside and like playing and like, being in grass and like running around in the woods and like shooting basketball and like riding skateboards and riding bikes. We were just like in our own little world. I don't think we had much context for like where we were, even mm -hmm. in terms of like musical history either. I mean, like we knew about Elvis and we knew about like Project Pat and we knew that Martin Luther King died here, but mm -hmm. like everything was so outward facing, like everything that we were into was always somewhere else because it was that's where all the quote unquote exciting things were happening. There wasn't a lot of like, look at where you are right now. That didn't really start to come into my life until like I was a lot older or whatever. So. Okay. Like in school, I'm just curious, would you, would you, were they teaching anything like that? I mean, were they letting you guys know like, Hey, Elvis was here, you know, this is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Like, was that anything that, I mean, I'm sure they talked about Martin Luther King, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. It was always like that was like the big dark cloud that kind of hung over the city was like, okay, you know, anytime anybody talked about like the negativity 
that might permeate from certain aspects of being here, they always would like kind of talk about that being the reason why. Um, oh, okay. Like almost like a folklore kind of sense, like mm-hmm. we're cursed or something like that. Like it was like, you know, and then we have the pyramid here and like pyramid, like we're named after Memphis and Egypt. And that was mm-hmm. like the of the dead. And so like, there was always this kind of dark cloud about. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah it was always like this dark cloud of like, who we are and where we are. And mm-hmm. then, like, I mean, Elvis was always a thing, but like, it feels like when you're raised in Memphis, like you almost are raised to hate Elvis. Like my family loves Elvis. <laughs> you don't like, we. I like Elvis now. As a child, okay. I hated Elvis. Like, <laughs> okay. like, my dad loves Elvis to death. My uncles love Elvis to death, but they grew up in the 60s and 70s. Right. And, like, it's a different relationship to them. And then like, you know, other half of my family is from Whitehaven and Whitehaven is where Elvis used to live. He used to live off Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. And so that like whole area was always like, I passed it maybe every weekend of my life. But wow. like, I just, and still pass it all the time. I still pass, <laughs> I still pass Graceland all the time. But like, I've never been. Really? Like, yeah, I've never been. <laughs> and that, you're, still, you're still living in Memphis now? Yeah, yeah, I'm still in Memphis. And that's okay. like a joke. Like if you are real quote unquote Memphian, you've never been to Graceland. That's funny. That's well, that's similar to like, I mean, uh, I grew up in San Diego in California and like all the uh, like touristy stuff I never really did. Or like when I moved to San Francisco, like I never went to Alcatraz or did anything like, like you've never been there. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, it's there, but I just like, I, I feel like it, it's so attainable that I'm like, eh, I'll just do it another time. But I just never did. Like, I've never been there. I've been to Bill Street, of course. Like, I've seen all the other stuff. Been okay. I've never have been to Graceland, but I want to go, especially since this Elvis movie is coming. Uh, oh, yeah. I know. That looks awesome. I just saw the trailer for it, actually. When I, I saw the new Batman movie with my son, and they played the trailer. I was like, whoa, I didn't even know this was happening. Looks super good. None of it here. They didn't shoot any of it here. <laughs> really? No. Oh, they failed. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, we, I moved to Tennessee recently about a year ago. I'm in uh, t- uh, Nash, South Nashville area. Um, and we drove through like Arkansas and then through, we stayed in Memphis. Uh, but it was interesting because you are in Memphis, Arkansas, and then you go over the bridge and you're still in Memphis. But then it, all, all of a sudden you're now in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you're from West Memphis. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know why they call it West Memphis. It's Arkansas, but. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. Where did you stay when you when you were in Memphis? Were you downtown? No, we stayed. It was a suburb. Mm. It was kind of like this. I don't know. I forgot what it was. It was really nice. Okay. It was a really nice area. Uh, it's uh, what was it called? Not Sugarland. It was something I can't remember. Um, it wasn't very far off of that bridge in towards West, where you climb. You go over what the Mississippi, were and you- you're. Dang, like a, name of it. I don't want to waste time trying to think of no, it. No, no, yeah, I, 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 I'll figure it out later. But yeah, it was like a nice, it was actually the nicest area, nicest place we stayed. The, mm-hmm. We drove from San Diego, it took us five days. It was the nicest place we stayed the, mm-hmm. the whole trip. I mean, we stopped in multiple locations. We took a while. We have two kids and a dog. And when we got there, I was like, whoa, like this is amazing. And there was snow on the ground still. And it was just, it was rad. But <laughs> anyway, well, how did, how did you get into music? Are, are your family, anyone in your family musical, um, siblings? 
on my mom's side, so on my mom's side, my uncle does music. Um, and that side of the family, like really musical uh, or like just big music fans, like my aunt Shirley, she like has an insane, insane, insane vinyl collection. It's just like walls worth. Oh, vinyl. wow. And so when I stayed with them in Whitehaven, I would, you know, of course, be like looking into all of those books and looking into those documentaries, she had, like all these music documentaries. That was like the first time that I like saw Jimi Hendrix and like all that type of stuff, Prince, like a lot of that stuff. But I think for me, I mean, like the earliest memories I kind of have are just music based memories. Like my dad always played music out loud in the house. So like whether it was like 90s kind of R&B stuff or like really old hip hop or like comedy records or like, um, I mean, like I heard Funkadelic like for the first time as a child, like laying on my floor. My dad was playing it through these big speakers. Um, Then my mom, you know, a lot of my memories are connected to music. I remember my mom playing like John Mayer all the time when I was like (laughs) in middle school. Um, And so, yeah, it was just a lot of music like revolving around me all the time. Like my dad really, really was into Tupac uh, and like a lot of West Coast Bay Area music because Mm -hmm. he was stationed uh, outside of Oakland when he was in the military. And oh wow, yeah, my mom went to Stanford too, and so I got like a lot of California energy, and then like a bunch of Southern energy kind of wrapped in together. So when my parents moved back, you know, they were playing stuff, and and it's funny because like my dad. I always wondered like why my dad never played like a lot of like Southern hip hop stuff, mm-hmm. um, stuff that I ended up getting into like in the early 2000s. It's just cause he was too old. Like by that time, <laughs> that, like certain stuff kind of got popping in terms of hip hop. He was like already a grown, grown man in his thirties. And mm-hmm. so he wasn't, he was still listening to soul music and stuff like this. Like we tend to like link on to the things that we heard in our teens and early twenties. Right. He's not going to like just start discovering these new art, maybe and, like not as much, maybe, you not know, as, and yeah. Oz and Biggie and stuff, but like he was listening to Tupac religiously. Um, and like, um, what's my guy that passed Humpty Hump and like all that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Run DMC, uh, Outkast. He did listen to a lot of Outkast. Oh, that's cool. Some of my earliest memories were like hearing Outkast on road trips and just like him playing the albums on loop. And then me sneaking and trying to look at the CDs because they had like all types of stuff on there. Like, oh we- right, <laughs> uh, yeah. That those are some of my like earliest memories of like life is like just this modgepodge mix of various genres and music. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in terms of me getting into it, I mean, I didn't. I started writing poetry and stuff when I was like in middle school, and sometimes mm-hmm. I would write raps to like samples in my head. So like I w- I remember hearing like, um, is it Bill Withers, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember like chopping it in my head, like as a kid. Wow. And then writing raps to the loop that I had chopped in my head. And I will always remember that. And then I just never did that again, right? And then high school comes and like I meet guys who are rapping, my cousin's rapping. And I had still been writing poetry. I was just writing to girls and stuff like that, like, Thinking I was <laughs> and then um, I just was really like, I didn't want people to know that I was interested in that kind of stuff. Cause you got to think in this time, when I graduated high school in 2009, Kanye and 50 Cent had just had that feud. And, oh. and I felt like at that point, it kind of opened the door for guys who are not street guys to maybe think about rapping. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like after 07, you get like the cool kids, Kid Cudi, more Kanye stuff, Drake, like all of this stuff starts to happen right as I'm leaving high school. And then that's when I was like, all right, Kid Cudi's out here talking about things I'm feeling. Drake is out here talking about girl problems and all these things that I'm also mm-hmm. having. Kanye is a super creative person at the time. Like, like he's like showing up. Twisted Fantasy hasn't come out yet. It's still like in this little like post-graduation 808 kind of vibe. And 808s was a big thing for us too. And so you get that, you get the cool kids, you get Pac Div, you get like Wale coming out Nike boots and like all this types of stuff. This is like pre-Kendrick, pre-J Cole, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, maybe I can like rap and it not be like a problem, right? Cause like at the time it was very much like still street centered, like right. a street person living a street life, dealing drugs, whatever, whatever, you should not touch a microphone. Like that was the vibe. And I didn't have any of those stories to tell. And so- Or if you were telling those stories and you weren't living that life, it was pretty ob- or obvious or you could call that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Rest of y'all. And so right. like, for me, I started doing that. And I mean, in the college, that's when I started like, making my first mixtapes and like kind of doing that little thing, trying to get a little buzz and like trying to get things going on campus. It was not uh, productive uh, Mm -hmm. at all. And then I moved, came back to Memphis. I moved to Maryland for a bit, came back to Memphis. um, And then at that point I was like, okay, it's time to kind of like maybe do this. It was like maybe like 2012 that I maybe like, had maybe experienced enough. I think my grandmother had passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got kicked out of school in Maryland. Oh, um, you went to college then in Maryland? I think yeah. I saw the University of Maryland or something. Yeah, yeah. That was like, at the time, I was like on the J. Cole Express path. Like, oh, J. Cole used his college degree to go to New York and got on. It was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to go to college and go somewhere close so I can get on. And so... So you had the per- the dream of doing this. I mean, it sounds like that was what yeah. you wanted to do anyway. And you kind of, did you have that as kind of like a back over your, your mom went to Stanford. So obviously very academic household, I would imagine. Like, is that why you kind of were like, eh, I'll just go try the college thing or. It was definitely half and half. So my dad did not go to college. My dad went to the military at like 17. He lied or whatever. I don't know if that's a good thing. So, but he went to the military. <laughs> well, yeah, other people did it. I know what you're talking yeah. about. People were trying to do a thing. So he like right, he right. The military. He did not, he wasn't maybe the best student in high school. He was spending too much time doing other stuff. I'm very much that. And then mm-hmm. also like wanting to achieve in certain levels of like at least academia, but like, I hated school. I hated, hated, hated school. I'm out of school now. I cheated <laughs> off the way through it. <laughs> like I was there for art. Like I was in school for, uh, my, my degree is in painting. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, like concentration in painting and then studio arts. So I was doing photography, sculpture, um, uh, photography, painting. Like I was doing everything, like anything I could get my hands on. And I was also using that stuff for my music at the time too. So I was like, getting skills in like the wood shop and like welding and stuff. Then I would take it and then make objects and make things and props and stuff for live shows. And so these two worlds while I was in college. Um, So you're performing in college as well. You already. Yeah. Okay. I started like really performing uh, late 2013, then all of 2014 and on. That's when I first kind of getting going. 
Um, but I was able to like buy live music equipment because I was selling paintings, like, cause I was doing well and that's art. amazing. Um, cause that's the- another industry or another facet of, that's so, you know, subjective <laughs> and the fact that people were like, Oh, you're art sick. I want to like pay for it. Like that must've been a big moment, even selling like your first piece of art. Like this yeah. is something I love to do. And now somebody's actually paying me mm-hmm. to do it. I always like say it's like the art, it's like a little easier. Like I've been drawing since I was a kid. Like that was mm-hmm. the one thing I had been doing since I was a kid was like working in the arts, like drawing and painting and stuff. Um, and then so once, you know, I went to school for that, I tried to go for music and it just, I, I don't know how to read music. I, I, they, they, in that time period, it was very much like some little racism sprinkles on it. Like the oh, okay. thing, get up out of here. Like if you can, <laughs> play an instrument if you can't play piano classical whatever whatever you can't read music get out of here we're not gonna teach you get out and so I went back to the art department um and for a little while I wasn't sure what I was gonna do like I think in the back of my mind I was always like oh I want to do music more than anything but like the ceiling like how far it seemed away at the time it was like we were half delusional and then like just half really like disillusioned or whatever it was just like I might end up being a teacher or I might end up doing this I might end up doing that I might not be able to do music or I really think I'll be able to do music it just kept hopping back and forth and I was also like in a relationship with a person who was not really supportive of what I was doing and they really wanted me to like be normal you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. like they wanted me to like have a job steady income all this types of stuff and like to figure it out And so I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to either like make it in music or art and working like it. But then also at the same time, like having some semblance of like normalcy. Yeah, like stability almost. Like trying to blend in with people like, oh, I'm in college. Like that was a thing for me. It was like, oh, you're doing all this stuff. Yeah, that's cute. Okay. Oh, oh, you're in college. Okay. We'll You know what I'm saying? It was yeah, like, no, I I completely hear exactly what you're saying. <laughs> like a little safeguard, like a social yeah. safeguard for me. And then at one point, I mean, I graduated and I was very successful in the arts and also pursuing music. Mm-hmm. It still became like a point of contention because art money is just like music money. Well, not exactly, but art money is, you know, right, it's, right. It's still the thing. Like it's still it's always subjective, and like it's not like you can count on this paycheck every week, and you know you're gonna save your four hundred one k and this yeah. that, and the other thing, right? And so, thankfully, like I was pretty successful in the arts and have been in the arts to be mm-hmm. able to fund my own pursuit of music, um, to even get to where I'm at. Like everywhere that I'm at right now, every leap and bound that I've had comes from art money essentially like my ability to art as well. It's been able to fund like a kickstart, you know what I'm saying? Like a moment Mm -hmm. where you're able to like put yourself in a room for opportunity to then come to you. Right. So like when I first, you know, when I first started doing live shows, I couldn't get booked in the city. Nobody would mess with me. Like nobody liked what I was doing. They didn't, it was weird to them. Um, It didn't sound like what Memphis music was supposed to sound like. So I I couldn't really get any support at all. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, all right, I'm going to sell some work. I'm going to buy all my own music equipment, my own mixers and speakers and all of this stuff. And I'm going to do my first show in a garage, like a punk band. Like that was like, Oh, wow. Um, and that was like, that was like my second show after I got like 
really, really dissed at like a college event one time. Mm. Like just people walked out wholesale. Just oh wow! Oh, so you did a show in 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 Maryland and it didn't I do well. Memphis. It was in Memphis. Oh, it was in Memphis. Okay. Mm. Did a show here. It was supposed to be like. You know, people do all these events where it's like half fashion show, half art show, half music show. Right, right, right. Okay. I did this event and uh, basically like the guy just, he just shafted me. Like he just screwed me completely um, in the sound and everything. And so it was just like a bad performance. But like we just did what we could do with mm-hmm. having bad mics and bad sound and all this stuff. And I was performing music at that time that would have been very weird to everybody there. And yeah, like people just big swaths of people just got up and left in front of me. And like the messed up part now I can laugh at all of it. But like people were walking through my set, like people were like, because where they had me performing was like in the middle of the stuff. And so yeah. like, started walking through me, passing by. And I just remember being like, I remember we went to IHOP, IHOP after that. And I was like thinking I was going to quit. I was like, this is. The most yeah how did you have the courage to continue on uh, i don't so i've been trying to figure this out like i've been trying to sometimes people ask me this like how i've had a lot of moments like that like a lot of really mm-hmm. like rock bottom type of moments in terms of pursuing music and people always ask me like how do you keep kind of having this thing i don't know if it's a uh like a mix of like when i discovered the college dropout or something like that. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think it's like a little bit of that. I think it's the fact that I grew up skateboarding too. So did I, I love that. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and so with skateboarding, you never get anything on the first try. It's a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's super rare. It says something about if you're able to like come out the gate, go to a spot and land this trick first try and roll the way perfect. That rarely happens unless you're like super, super skilled. And I was good. I was great. Like I wanted to be a pro skater at one point. And I still fail a million times. Like I would jump down 10 stairs and fall a hundred times before I landed the trick. And then I might've put my hands down. So we had to do it again. Oh, sure. Four times. Right. And so when you get used to like slamming into the concrete, and landing on rails and falling on stairs and spraining your ankle and splitting your pants and scarring up your back. What is it to just keep going and keep trying something? Because that satisfaction at the end of it is insane. Like when you land a trick in skate, like you land something crazy and you roll the way you got it on film. It's oh, crazy. Like it's like a high. And oh, so, yeah. you know, for me, I think, that aspect of my growing up made it so, yes, I'll hit the rock bottom at the IHOP and I just won't talk and I'll be sad. But then the next day I'll wake up and be like, nah, I'm finna, I'm finna do this. I'm finna, like, I, I feel like I'm destined to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep going. And then I'm just going to take it into my own hands this time. So I'm not going to trust that guy to handle my sound next time. I'm going to learn how to do sound and I'm going to buy all my own stuff because I can do that. And that guy isn't that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh-huh. yeah, this kind of mentality that like, if nobody was going to help me or do it for me, I could do it for myself because I was so multifaceted. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to invite 40 of my, you know, close friends and associates to my garage. I'm going to like perform here. And this was like, this might've been like 2012, 2012. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, come through. 
y'all not y'all don't know what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna perform some records. I performed like a, I don't know, like a 30 minute set or something like that for him. And I was just like, hey y'all, this is what I'm doing. Da da da. I would love for y'all to support me, rock rock with me or whatever. When the mixtape come out, share it with your friends. Whoop de whoop. Now I just started doing it very grassroots like that. Um, and then I started booking gallery space. So like around the same time in 2013, the space in town, Crosstown had opened up two galleries. One of them you could rent out and it was just a, a white rectangle, nothing in it, nothing. Wow. Customize it however you wanted to. That's cool. That was perfect. Like I was like, I can create a world in here, invite people out, print my own posters and my own little, you know, things, staple them all over the university and, you know, give them to the art galleries in town and stuff like that. And then have people come out. And so that's kind of how it got started. I started like booking this space out every six months, like in advance mm-hmm. and having these shows and like doing this big installation based performance. And that's kind of how I got my first, like what I always describe as like my first, first 150 fans, like, like the first people wow. kind of started to support in a real way and spread my music out around the city it was because of those like three or four shows that I had there. Um, and then it, I had this thing where it was like, all right, I'm gonna just keep building every time. So it was like, we did this here, let's move into this gallery, this bigger gallery, let's move over here. Now, can we do some at a museum? And by that time, I mean, by 2017, I was like performing in the museums in the city and like doing large installations and like a lot of stuff with like visuals and like props and like, just expanding this universe as I was releasing projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, not to jump ahead, but yeah, that's. No, kind of- no, no, that's, that's incredible. And then around what the next year or so is when you put out your full length record, your first what album there. So I put out Alero. So I had put out three full length, like free albums okay. in uh, 2014. It was like, one- wow, that's a lot of records in one year. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's the weekend's fault because the weekend's <laughs> the weekend's weekend fault because he did House of Balloons and then he did like the, the other two and mm. it was like 2011 it was around the same time Nostalgia Ultra Drop and I remember making the first one it took me like a year and a half to make the first like December LP project and mm. I released at the end of 2013 and the show that we had with it we had like a listening event and stuff like that it was packed it like went well and I was like okay. I can either do this every year or do this every six months. And I remember being like, well, the weekend did all those trilogy projects before it was even a trilogy yet. Mm -hmm. Like he did all of those, like maybe I can do that. And then, so I just recorded, did one, recorded and did one. And then right after that, I started working on Alero, which was my first commercial release. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Yeah. That, and that came out, I mean, it was done in 2016. And I just held it and like was trying to get the business of it together, trying to figure out all the things, trying to get my connections and stuff uh, mm-hmm. together. Cause I was like, I'm not going to do what I just did last time where I just released some stuff. And sure. then there's more of a plan or like a, yeah. We're trying to put together a plan. I think the market has shifted too. by this time, like chance the rapper had come out. And so mm-hmm. he was speaking a lot about like independence and like working with like CD baby and TuneCore and all these types of spots. So I started to see like different ways, like we're not really that, I mean, the internet is the internet now, but back then, like you weren't really exposed to that kind of stuff unless somebody was telling you like that, how to do it. Like Memphis mm-hmm. is not, 
it's it's almost like, I mean, it's I don't know, it's its own little world, right? It's not Atlanta, it's not it's not Chicago even, like it's its own little world. And people just do things the way that they've always done things. And so until somebody innovates, then you really don't see innovation here. And I hate to say that, but that's just the reality. It's like, until somebody decides we can do this like this and it work, then you won't see it, right? Like people won't even think to innovate in that way. And mm-hmm. so, you know, everybody just was still selling mixtapes at the trunk of their cars and like putting their stuff on that piff and whatever. And it was just like, I had tried those things and they weren't working for me. So I was like, you know, what can I do? Like, can I go partner directly with a streaming service? Can I go through Bandcamp? I'd already got on Bandcamp, but Bandcamp wasn't the Bandcamp of today. It was different. It was just where you just uploaded your stuff. And if your fans got a hold of it, they did if they didn't. And so for me, I was like, how can I figure this out? How do I release music officially? And I felt like at the time that was what was going to separate me from all of my peers who at, at the time we had all been releasing music the same way. I didn't use SoundCloud, but a lot of them did. That was and, a big one for a while around that time. Yeah, like Hype I, Machine I, was a big thing. and Yeah, I never did good on SoundCloud. Never. Still don't. Still don't. And so, you know, for me, I was always a very visual person. So I leaned on YouTube. I also leaned on live shows and selling physical albums. I didn't really, you know, like to even put my music online at that point because I was like, I'm not doing well here. I don't understand this place. Like I don't, I didn't never, I still don't really understand this place. And, you know, I just don't. No one, no one really does. If you could crack the like algorithm, you'd be, yeah. Bill Gates or something. Yeah, I'm not (laughs) I can get in front of you. I can give you a show that is special. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to want, and I was, I was doing the shows for free. So I would do a free show and then have a bunch of merch and CDs and they would buy all of it because I had put on such a good show. And then I would have the donations and I used to have this thing. It was like, Hey, you could, I could charge you $20 to be here. And then half of y'all come or I can make it for free. And then give y'all the option to donate. And then you give me $50 a piece or $100 or $150 or whatever you want to give. And so I would always leave those shows with like a decent amount of money to be able to invest back into the shows. And I just kept doing that um, over the years. And so for me, with the, with the Alero, I felt like at that point in time, I needed to be able to release music commercially for me to separate and to be taken seriously to the people that I wanted to be taken seriously to, which was the industry of the things. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and it started to kind of do some things. And then we did it again with Contour. Uh, which is in the same year, right? Following year. It, oh, yeah. it was the following year. Okay. On- online, it says the same year. Because yeah, that's what I was going to say. I saw that on the same year on there. We um, had to narrow down for some sample issues. Ah, Okay. Yeah. To- <laughs> okay. So then uh, the, yeah, the next record comes out and like, what would you say the next uh, like stepping stone was in, in your career as you kind of progressed? I think um, after we got out contour, like stuff was much different. Like it was like, Oh, okay. Like people started using like the F word with me, which is weird. Like the famous, famous, like locally, like people. Oh, the F word, <laughs> like going somewhere else at that. <laughs> it's like, but people start to like, you know, tease me about like being known in the city. And like, I start to kind of realize it was like, oh, okay. And then I would have shows and it would be like a lot of people. 
And I was like, uh-huh. Jesus, okay. And so after a while, you know, I got, we opened the gallery and I like started working on that really, really hard. And so like a dang near year was about to go by from the last time that I had released the project and I hadn't really worked on any new music or anything like that um, at all. And I was like, man, you know, I think I kind of want to do something a little different. You know, I want to maybe change my name or do some stuff like that. I kind of thought I got done with like what it is that the Dawn Lifted project is basically. Mm-hmm. And so I started working on new music uh, under another name. And then uh, I was like, I don't feel right. So Murfield is a record that's off a of contour. Murfield started to take off. Yeah, that's a huge song. Yeah, it started doing well on streaming out the blue. And I was just like, okay. And then so I started getting all of these like fans that were like coming to me that were not based in Memphis and people having all these experiences with the record. And then I felt like I was maybe cheating those fans by not seeing it through. Like they thought I was a new artist. And I was like, man, I've been doing this since I was 17 years old. I'm kind of tired. I want to maybe do something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, um, but I seen how many people were responding to like what it was that, that Contour is. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on tour. I'm going to figure out the funding. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go to these top five places in my little streaming market or whatever. I'm going to put together the money. I got some support, some sponsors, some help, some GoFundMes. I put some stuff together, got some of my own money. And we went out on tour. And um, in the middle of the tours, that's when I got like ended up getting courted uh, at the time by Fat Possum. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And so it was like really weird how it happened, too, because I remember like we had like two more dates left. I think we had just come back from New York or something. And I was like, man, like I'm spending a lot of money to do this. And like, it's cool. And it's a nice experience to have. And I'm being able to like get in contact with these fans and stuff, the people who've known me. But I was like, I'm spending a lot of money. And I was just like kind of down about it. And I was like, what if I would have kept all this money and then like did something else? Right. And then uh, I remember I was driving uh, to pick somebody up. And then, like, my phone just started going haywire, just, like, getting DMs. And, like, my manager at the time started hitting me. I was like, what's going on? Like, what's happening? I, like, opened it up, and it was like, yo, we want to have a meeting with you. We want to do this. And I had, like, some emails and stuff. And I was like, I just started crying in the car, dog. <laughs> just, oh, my. I would, too. Wow. Yeah. That is so, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was a weird thing. And then, then I remember I did the other two dates, like, kind of knowing that this thing was happening. And I uh-huh. felt like it was going to happen. Like, we hadn't even had the meeting yet. And I was just like, nah, this is this is all coming together. And so uh-huh. I just had like a glow about myself. Like, when we did San Francisco and L.A., came back to Memphis, and then it was weird. Like, because <laughs> it became weird because, again, we talk about, like, separation. Like, mm-hmm. going on tour as who I was at that point in time was, like, another separating factor. And I remember coming back and not feeling like I had peers anymore in my creative scene. Yeah. Definitely treated me as such. And so it got really isolating. But then I was like happy because of the deal things. And then we ended up signing. You know, we had some meetings, sent them some music back and forth, made some stuff for them. I made made gold and I made the rope. And Mm -hmm. then uh, I made a few other records and I sent them to them. They were like, okay, cool come on down we're gonna we're gonna do the signing sign and then a week later everything shut down because of COVID. oh my, that's when COVID hits mm-hmm. oh wow okay <laughs> <laughs> so 
how did that was that like oh my gosh now you know we had all this momentum we got these good records coming out we just signed a deal and then how do you even like digest that like okay wow. now everything's gonna get pulled out from under you that's good luck what I, was <laughs> I was like scared i was like oh snap they're gonna like pull the deal like they gonna be like hey never mind mm -hmm. i was scared about that i was super scared about dying that was like the biggest thing for oh right <laughs> yeah aside from that i guess like, like i was just like horrified uh because at that time like we didn't understand anything so like march we didn't understand what was happening no, we just it like, was here. yeah and i'm in the south i'm in memphis so people are like you know bible belt type of vibes like people mm -hmm. are like all the stuff you see now like where it's like very much like clear opposition against like wearing masks and like getting back yeah. it was weird when i moved here in february and moved to, to nashville in february mm -hmm. of last year i was like well is it from california i'm like this is a different approach <laughs> and so down here it was like you know it was hard to get masks at first so you just had to stay inside like you couldn't get them mm -hmm. uh, and you really couldn't get anything we like everybody's trying to get hand sanitizer so nobody knew how to protect themselves properly right. and so I just was in the house and as a person who had been working in events and exhibitions and performances and stuff all for however many years since college, then in the college, grinding nonstop, it was like really jarring to be forced to be in one spot. Uh, it was very much the opposite feeling now. I'd rather be in one spot than be out. <laughs> but at that time, it was like really hard on me it's hard to me emotionally isolating. Like then you had like the whole world was going crazy that year. So like mm -hmm. just every month it was like a new, everything's about to end. Everything's about to end. It just kept going and going. And, and at the time I was like, I mean, my initial release, my first single was supposed to come out in September of 2020. And we were still kind of working towards that thinking that COVID was going to go away. Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, okay, you know, because you remember what they were telling us, they was like, it'll be fine in March. Uh, it'll be yeah. fine. Okay. Two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then they had like Coachella, like 90 plus yeah. thousand people like rescheduling for October. I'm like, oh, that's a good, that's yeah. an optimistic yeah. choice. <laughs> I'm going to see Frank in, in October. And it's like, no, we're going to push that back again. And it was like, oh, right. summer comes, it'll get hot and it'll go away. And it did not. And so it just kept going. And so at a certain point, I was like, was making music and writing songs but then i was like all right this like i need to be able to create i cannot mm -hmm. just be here i was in an artist residency program when covid dropped and it couldn't like it just cut everything stopped so mm -hmm. like i just i had an exhibition opening i had like some public art i had just done i had artist residency i had just signed a deal like everything just ended and so like my creative stride that i was on kind of got just murdered Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard on me. And then you just have all these people dying all over the place. And I feel like I just be feeling stuff. I'm like sensitive about that kind of stuff. I just mm -hmm. am like just seeing all this stuff and I'm just like feeling terrible. And I'm worried about my mom, worried about my brother. I didn't see my mom for months. Didn't see my dad for months. Um, really didn't see my brother for a while until like the summer. It was like really, it was really tough. And so I started being like, you know what? Again, like the rock bottom thing is like, I was like, you know what? My guitar player doesn't want to come over. They're scared of this COVID stuff. They're taking it real serious. They got siblings and stuff. I'm taking it real serious too, but I got to make an album. So I was like, 
get my interface, get my MacBook, get some speakers, get my headphones, my cords, put them all in a suitcase, drive over their house, set up on the porch, run a cord into the into the house, turn speakers towards them. All right, we're tracking. Really? Yeah. So like that's how you did the that's how you did the rec the three twenty five i. Oh my gosh. A lot of the record got done like that. Like the rope was recorded like that. Uh, like all the instrumentation for that. Uh, gold and it was like it was a few different records that got done like that. Um, wow. We were just. I was like, I have. To, I cannot stop. Like, and I used to always tell my, myself this all the time. I was like, what were artists doing during World War Two? What were artists doing during like Vietnam? And what were artists doing? They kept making stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it, at this time, it felt like the whole world was ending at that time. And the only thing that kind of was keeping me afloat was making art. I just had to keep making and keep telling and keep getting out what I was feeling. And so I was like, I'm, I'm willing to do what I need to do. If I need to run a chord through somebody's window and they track vocals from, like not track vocals, but like track guitar or whatever from their couch while I'm sitting on the porch, I'll do it. And so I did it and then had enough to even write my songs. And then as we, uh, as things started to get a little easier, we started to understand it a little more. I was like, all right, such and such come over, uh, C major come over, MPC, let's put the drums on all of this stuff, put the finishing touches on it. And so it was kind of done in these like little sections. And so that's why there's so much guitar on the album because that was like one of the easiest things for me to like work on. It was a thing, but it was also like, you know, I can safely get, you know, we can do that. And so for me, it was like, I would record my, my guitar separate a week or two weeks would go by. I would get the drums put on there. We were doing FaceTime sessions for some of those songs. Like it would be me and C wow. on FaceTime. He would be on his system doing the drums and I would be on my system. And like, we would be just be sending stuff back and forth through email on FaceTime. And then like, I would plug it in and then get the working on it. So it was just like, it was a hard technical project to make happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was like that was what was absolutely necessary at the time because we weren't really taking any like we weren't we, we were being very careful, as careful as we could. Um, mm-hmm. But it was absolutely necessary that I like finish that. And it, it wasn't like it wasn't like the label stopped asking for records either. I mean, it was like they they wanted the things. We just kept pushing stuff back. And so. Mm-hmm. You know, it ended up working out. Um, and it's so weird because, I mean, right now we're dropping, you know, whatever's coming next. And, you know, it's like it's Ukrainian things, Russian things happen. Like there's always, it always seems like something's happening. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that's that's the world at this point. Like, you know, all these yeah. things happen. And, and, and what do we do as artists? You know, do we just like sit on a couch and be like, ah, I shouldn't make nothing, shouldn't do nothing? Or do you let that stuff inform you know, what you feel and, and what you make. And like, for me, 325 was definitely like that for me. Like it's so much angst, so much anxiety, so much fear, so much like self digging also in there too. And that's because, I mean, I was every day looking in the mirror, taking inventory on life. Mm-hmm. What have I done? What have people done to me? What do I want to be? How do I want to change? You know, and just trying to put that in the record um, and then share that with people. You know, mm-hmm. that was the thing for me. Uh, I'm curious. You, you said that uh, one of the first songs you sent over to Fat Possum, what, like you said, The Rope and Golden, and The mm-hmm. Rope is the, the new one that wasn't even on 325i, right? Yeah. And you recorded it in that same time period. And 
What was the why? Why did you hold the song? So I remember when we first made it. I mean, like Golden has like a certain like um, vibrato to it, right? Mm-hmm. So does the rope. It was written from that place again of like I just got a deal, or like not even just got a deal. I hadn't signed yet. I just mm-hmm. was like the option of it was there. So it was like this big confidence boost and this big validating factor of like, you, you've been doing what you're supposed to do. This is not all for not, you know what I'm saying? And so golden was written from like that. And like, this just very like confident, like smooth kind of, kind of vibe. And then it's like, when you hit that point and then people smell this stuff on you, like nobody knew that I was signed, but people could feel the vibe. Like I was moving different. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I'm saying? I was out, you know, when you get the things, you start moving a little careful. Yeah. You know, you, your, your head is up high a little bit. You feel different. And people get a little more confidence in your step and a little spring. Yeah, it's like people like, and so with the rope, um, it came from, I think, like a Facebook comment. Some guy that I knew uh, who was like a fan, you know, would come to the shows and stuff. Uh, sit front row and everything had like posted some stuff just talking about my music basically and i was just like interesting and so of course i got like this battery in my back from from what i know to be true from what i know to be happening in my life right now right right like all right i'm gonna write something to get my energy out and so i just end up like right then and there like writing just one long verse um which ended up being the rope just kind of detailing like, yo, don't get it twisted. Like I am that dude. Like I'm, I'm that guy still, like I'm the guy that inspired you to be who you are. And so many, and like, it's, it's a, it's like a, it was written from a direct thing, but it was, it was broadly broadcast. Like it was sent out in a, a broadcast type of way of like, bro, I know how much I've done here in this city. I know how much I've contributed to it in terms of the arts, in terms of music and stuff, regardless of whether you want to acknowledge it or not because of like my aesthetic or like the fact that I talk how I talk or I'm from out here or whatever it is, like, you know, there's so many different reasons to like discount or try to discount things. Uh, But for me, it felt like, you know, I needed to like let people know before, you know, the energy, you know, came out, like the, the announcement and all this stuff that, like I need to get that out and Mm -hmm. so initially it was going to be on the album but as the year progressed and as the album progressed it became a little more like really really vulnerable and like emotional right like golden is kind of like the standard that's why I said the beginning is very Mm -hmm. this is the only song that kind of sounds like this where Mm -hmm. I'm talking like this and then the rest of it is all very deep internal like rifling through oneself and so I kept trying to place the song within the track list and it just felt like I was forcing it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to set it to the side. We'll drop this a few months after the album comes out. Right. And there's a few other records like that too, uh, okay. that, that ended up, they were going to be on the album, but they changed the tone of the album in a light that I maybe didn't want to promote at the time. I felt like I wanted to come out and like put, I don't know. I just wanted a certain energy to be like, I wanted it to be very concise. Sure. And, yeah. It just didn't. Yeah. Like you said, it didn't sonically kind of work with what you wanted the record to say. 
Yeah, and, and there was like a section. I mean, it was supposed to be, I'm trying to remember, I think I was trying to put it somewhere towards the end at some point before we ended up doing light figure and like left hand path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just couldn't figure out, I was like, I don't want my album to end like this. I don't want my album to end with me yelling at somebody essentially. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, I don't want that. I, that's not where I'm at right now. Especially as the year progressed, like I started to connect with different things in my life differently and started to like try to reevaluate the energy I was putting out and the energy that, that was coming towards me. Because I think once we did announce the deal and a lot of other things started to happen for me, like I was, 2020 was terrible, terrible, mm-hmm. terrible, terrible to most people. For me, I sold a lot of work. I sold a ton of work because people wanted artwork and people wanted things and they want to put their money somewhere. And I do photography. So it was like really easy for me to sell work. So I maybe sold, had a bunch of commissions, like a bunch of work got sold. And then like the deal happened. It was like a lot of stuff was happening for me professionally in a space where a lot of other people, it, they were digressing. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be very careful. And I'm, I would call the label. Like I would talk to Patrick, the A&R all the time and be like, man, like, I'm going through it in the scene. Like I'm going through it. People treat me funny. People like, you know, my friends are acting weird or previous associates, people not messing with me no more. Like folks is, you know, treat me different. Like people having money problems and I don't, you know, I, I don't know what to do for them. And it's just like this weird thing. And you just see like all the, the stereotypical things that you hear about when like artists start to like get going in a different right. way. They start to separate a lot of like the, since we can't come with you, you are not of us and we will also attack you. Because right. Well, it's a jealousy thing, I think. Yeah, it's a jealousy, envy, and like a lot of that. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of direct conversations with people and, and like they would say that's what it is. And mm-hmm. like, you know, but for me, it doesn't change what you said when you said what you said. Right. It still hurts, right. Yeah, it's still hurting. Like I might have been providing opportunity for you and never said a bad word about you. And so it's like for me to now get a platform and then you feel like it's the time to like attack me because we're locked in the house because there's a virus outside, you know, killing us if we breathe the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, but when we were together, you never, you know, it's like when we were around each other, that that always bothered me so much. I'm not the best with uh, betrayal or things like Mm -hmm. that. I'm not always, uh, those are, those are hard things for me to navigate or have been especially that year because I was already going through it so bad mm-hmm. and so you know I always tried to tiptoe through 2020 knowing that my life was changing for the better despite everything that was happening right. uh, I tried to be very careful but you can't be careful when it's like these opportunities are so big like these are not things that happen for folks here often like I always say this all the time like street rap is what's popular in Memphis street mm-hmm. rap is folks who talk about certain things, those are the guys who are streaming out the wazoo and doing all the things and getting stuff going. From our scene, it's not that much. It's not many of us at all. And so for one of us, two of us to cut through, you know, people choose up and people decide, you know, this is what we want to represent us. This is what we want to like stand behind. This is the type of artist, you know, that represents Memphis the best for us. And at the time, I wasn't that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And probably still ain't that, and that's fine. But it was a very interesting thing to navigate still being here, because I think I'm also, like, slightly committed to living here. 
Um, right. And so because of that, it's like I'm driving around in these streets and I'm going to these stores and I'm going to these events and things like that. Less and less. But I was at that time. And so no matter what success I'm receiving, I'm still or was in the mix a little bit. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting to like walk into an event in a party and like you just were in fader. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, <laughs> nobody we know has been in fader at all. Right. And so it's like half the room is like, yo, good looking dog. Seeing you on that, that's crazy. You putting on. And the other room is like, you know, it's like yeah. another, it's another vibe. It's like hard to to navigate. The other room's like, I wish I was in Fader. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, it's like, you know, they're going to, you are here, so they're going to try to tear you back down to their level. So, yes. I mean. You can't, you can't do anything about it. Like, that, that's the messed up thing. It's like, people, you can just rap. You can right. sing. That's all you can do. And you can just continue to elevate. Uh-huh. But you cannot ever at any point turn around and then go back down the steps. Right. Like, oh, I guess you guys are right. Let me come back down here real quick. <laughs> you, know? you, up. you know what I'm saying? It's like, I yeah. can't do that. I can't, you know, get on Twitter or something and engage with somebody or, you know, argue or yell or I can't, I can't do any of that. It's not a good look. And it just, I know what that is. And so I just have to always make sure that I am maintaining control uh, and, and not allowing anybody to take me off of my, uh, take me off the path of, you know, what I got. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think you're doing it. I mean, to, to trans, to, to move that energy into a song like the rope, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the, you're doing the perfect thing. That's all, all also going to separate you even more. Like, yeah, you guys are hating on me, but then watch me put this rad record out. That's just going to keep elevating me even further up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I said, I mean, that's a great album. The, the 325 Eyes is an incredible record. And I, and I love the, I had a chance to hear the rope as well. So congratulations on all the success, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you, you hanging out with me. This has been so fun. Thank you. Of course. No, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. I always say anytime I'm able to like talk to anybody about anything that I'm doing, I'm very thankful to do so. Uh, I'm always appreciative of the platform uh, and folks just want to talk with me. So yeah. I love it. Well, I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, don't stop. Just don't stop. Because I think that's one of the main things that separates us is the ability to keep going. I think, you know, I've I just seen that like people get a little stride to get going and they stop and then the momentum goes and they go away. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if you just keep working, just keep working like the universe will reward you for the energy you put in. But on the other side of that energy is like meet the universe halfway in terms of like be working on yourself while you're also working on your work. Don't just become a really great artist and not a great person. Right. And like, or aspire to be a great person because that stuff is going to come back around, work on your insecurities, work on your jealousy, work on comparing yourself to other artists, uh, study, 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 study other artists, study artists' careers, study music, um, study various forms of the arts. Don't just have a narrow-minded perspective. Like, make sure you're happy with what you see in the mirror before you ask for all of these things that come with this stuff, because we've seen so many artists 
get all of these things, get more success than I maybe will ever see and not be secure inside and maybe not be right and maybe not be taken care of and they unravel in front of all our eyes. And that's always like a very sad thing to watch. And I'm thankful that I'm like 30. I'm thankful that I'm 30 and all of these things are happening because if they maybe would have happened when I was 21, when I wanted it to happen, I probably wouldn't be here talking to y'all right now. I probably would have messed it up. You know what I'm saying? I probably would have done something to myself or somebody else because the person that I was at that point in time was not evolved enough to navigate the stresses and the anxieties and the um, heaviness of what pursuing a career in music specifically uh, can do to you. And so, yeah, I would just prepare yourself mentally, emotionally, physically for what this work is and just keep working.